Part One, Chapter Two of the Tree of Heaven by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part One, Peace, Chapter Two. Granny took a long time crossing the lawn from the door in the lane to the Tree of Heaven. She came first. Her daughters followed, forced to her slow pace, advancing with an air of imperfect cohesion of not really belonging to each other as if they had been strangers associated by some accident it had grown on them in their efforts to carry off the embarrassment of appearing as an eternal trio auntie louis carried it off best sharp and rigid auntie louis's figure never lent itself to any group but for her black gown she really might not have belonged mrs fleming went slowly not because she was old for she was only sixty but because though she said and thought that she was wrapped up in frances and her children she was still absorbed fascinated by her sacred sense of bereavement she moved as if hypnotized by her own sorrow to her three unmarried daughters she behaved with a sort of mystic hostility a holy detachment and displeasure as if she suspected them of getting over it or of wanting to get over it if they could but to her one married daughter and to her grandchildren she was soft and gentle so that when they happened to be all together her moods changed so rapidly that she seemed a creature of unaccountable caprice one minute her small white dry face quivered with softness and gentleness and the next it stiffened or twitched with the inimical disapproving look it had for louis and emmeline and edith the children lifted up their pure impassive faces to be kissed at old nana brought baby john and put him on his grandmother's knee dorothy and nicholas went off with mary nana to the party michael forgot all about playing with himself he stayed where he was drawn by the spectacle of granny and the aunties granny was clucking and chuckling to baby john as she had clucked and chuckled to her own babies long ago her underlip made itself wide and full it worked with an in-and-out movement very funny and interesting to michael the movement meant that granny chuckled under protest of memories that were sacred to grandpapa choo-choo-choo-choo chuck-a-boo beautiful boy said granny auntie louie looked at her youngest nephew she smiled her downward sagging smile wrung from a virginity sadder than granny's grief she spoke to baby john you really are rather a nice boy auntie louie said but edie the youngest auntie was kneeling on the grass before him bringing her face close to his baby john's new and flawless face was cruel to auntie edie's so was his look of dignity and wisdom oh she says you're only rather nice said auntie edie and you're the beautifulest sweetest darlingest that ever was wasn't she a nasty auntie louie ten little pink toes and there he goes five little tootsies to each of his footsies she hid herself behind the times disturbing jane where's john john she cried where's he gone to can anybody tell me where to find john john where's john john peep boo there he is john john look at auntie edie oh you won't pay any attention to poor me baby john was playing earnestly with granny's watch chain you might leave the child alone said granny can't you see he doesn't want you auntie edie made a little pouting face like a scolded pathetic child nobody ever did want auntie edie and all the time auntie emmy was talking to francis very loud and fast francis 
i do think your garden's too beautiful for words how clever of you to think of clearing away the old flower-beds i hate flower-beds on a lawn yet i don't suppose i should have had the strength of mind to get rid of them if it had been me as she talked auntie emmy opened her eyes very wide her eyebrows jerked the left one leaping up above the right she thrust out her chin at you and her long inquiring nose her thin face was the play of agitated nerve strings that pulled it thus into perpetual restless movements and she made vague gestures with her large bony hands her tongue went tick-tack like a clock anthony said you could hear emmy's tongue striking the roof of her mouth all the time and putting those delphiniums all together like that massing the blues anthony i do think anthony has perfect taste i adore delphiniums auntie emmy was behaving as if neither michael nor baby john was there don't you think john john's too beautiful for words said francis don't you like him a little bit too auntie emmy winced as if francis had flicked something in her face of course i like him too why shouldn't i i don't think you do auntie emmy michael said auntie emmy considered him as for the first time what do you know about it she said i can tell by the funny things your face does i thought said francis you wanted to play by yourself so i do said michael well then go and play he went and to a heavenly place that he knew of but as he played with himself there he thought auntie emmy doesn't tell the truth i think it is because she isn't happy michael kept his best things to himself i suppose you're happy said granny now you've got the poor child sent away auntie emmy raised her eyebrows and spread out her hands as much as to say she was helpless under her mother's stupidity he'd have been sent away anyhow said francis it isn't good for him to hang about listening to grown-up conversation it was her part to keep the peace between her mother and her sisters it seems to me said auntie louis that you began it yourself when a situation became uncomfortable auntie louis always put her word in and made it worse she never would let francis keep the peace francis knew what louis meant that she was always flinging her babies in emmy's face at those moments when the sight of other people's babies was too much for emmy she could never be prepared for emmy's moments it's all very well auntie louie went on but i should like to hear of somebody admiring dorothy i don't see where dorothy comes in dorothy was supposed by the two nanas to be auntie louie's favorite if you taxed her with it she was indignant and declared that she was sure she wasn't and again francis knew what louie meant that she loved her three sons michael and nicholas and john with passion and her one daughter dorothea with critical affection that was the sort of thing that louis was always saying and thinking about people and nobody ever paid the slightest attention to what louis said or thought francis told herself that if there was one emotion that she was more free from than another it was sex jealousy the proof of it which she offered now was that she had given up dorothy to anthony it was natural that he should care most for the little girl louis said that was easy when she knew perfectly well that anthony didn't like francis he cared most for his three sons she was leaving dorothy to anthony so that anthony might leave michael and nicholas to her you might just as well say francis said that i'm in love with john john poor little don don i might said louis just as well granny said she was sure she didn't understand what they were talking about and that louis had some very queer ideas in her head 
Louis, she said, knows more than I do. Francis thought, was Granny really stupid? Was she really innocent? Was she not rather clever, chock full of the secret wisdom and the secret cruelty of sex? Francis was afraid of her thoughts. They came to her not like thoughts, but like quick rushes of her blood, partly confusing her. She did not like that. She thought, supposing Granny knew all the time that Emmy was unhappy and took a perverse pleasure in her knowledge. Supposing she was not really soft and gentle. She could be soft and gentle to her because of her children and because of Anthony. She respected Anthony because he was well off and efficient and successful and had supported her ever since Grandpapa had gone bankrupt. She was proud of Frances because she was Anthony's wife who had had three sons and only one daughter. Granny behaved as if her grandchildren were her own children, as if she had borne three sons and only one daughter, instead of four daughters and only one son. Still, Francis was the vehicle of flesh and blood that carried on her flesh and blood in Michael and Nicholas and John. She respected Francis. But Francis could remember a time when she had been unmarried like her sisters, and when Granny had turned on her too that look that was half contempt and half hostility or displeasure granny had not wanted her to marry anthony any more than she would have wanted louis or emmeline or edith to marry anybody supposing anybody had wanted to marry them and francis and anthony had defied her they had insisted on marrying each other francis knew that if there had been no anthony her mother would have despised her in secret as in secret she despised emmeline and edith she despised them more than Louis because, poor things, they wanted palpably to be married, whereas Louis didn't or said she didn't. In her own way, Louis had defied her mother. She had bought a typewriter and a bicycle with her own earnings, and by partially supporting herself, she had defied Anthony, the male benefactor. Louis's manner intimated that there was nothing Frances had that she wanted. She had resources in herself, and Frances had none. Frances persuaded herself that she admired and respected Louis. She knew that she, Frances, was only admired and respected because she had succeeded where her three sisters had failed. She was even afraid that in moments of exasperation, Granny used her and Anthony and the children to punish Emmy and Edie for their failure. The least she could do was to stand between them and Granny. It was possible that if Granny had been allowed to ignore them, and give her whole attention to francis or michael or baby john she could have contrived to be soft and gentle for an afternoon but neither louis nor emmeline nor even edith would consent to be ignored they refused to knuckle under to give in theirs was a perpetual struggle to achieve an individuality in the teeth of circumstances that had denied them any francis acknowledged that they were right that in the same circumstances she would have done the same in their different ways and by different methods they claimed attention they claimed it incessantly louis the eldest by an attitude of assurance and superiority so stiff and hard that it seemed invulnerable emmy by sudden jerky enthusiasms exaltations intensities edie by an exaggerated animation a false excitement edie would drop from a childish merriment to a childish pathos when she would call herself poor me and demand pity for being tired for missing a train for cold feet for hair coming down there would be still more animation and still more enthusiasm when anthony came home frances prided herself on her power of foreseeing things 
she foresaw that anthony would come home early for his game she foresaw the funny nervous agony of his face when he appeared on the terrace and caught sight of granny and the three aunties and the elaborate and exquisite politeness with which he would conceal from them his emotion she foresaw that she would say to annie when the master comes tell him we're having tea in the garden under the tree of uh, under the ash tree for after all he was the master and discipline must be maintained she foresaw the very gestures of his entrance the ironically solemn bow that he would make to her far off from the terrace she even foresaw the kind of joke that for the life of him he would not be able to help making she was so made that she could live happily in this world of small foreseen things end of part one chapter two recording by expatriate in bangor maine